Welcome to the Surviving Outside Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike O'Kelly. Hope everybody's having a great week out there. Uh, Topic today is going to be the Sales Builder Blueprint. And one of the things, take you back a couple of years ago when I was starting the podcast and I talked to a lot of sales professionals and they start talking about, you know, what's your secret sauce or what's your secret way of doing thing? And not so much a secret, but what's your special way? Like, what is it about you? What's your DNA? And a lot of people that I talked to, they highly recommended that I figured out. And what I started doing was I started looking back in my life and I started seeing patterns arise and I didn't know what those patterns were. And basically I realized that what I had pretty much done my entire life, including baseball was turning around failing entities, whether it's baseball teams or it's businesses. That's what I did. A turnaround artist. And it was interesting because I never really thought about it because for the longest time, I mean, I worked at a company like Enterprise for four years, but every branch that I took over was massively underperforming and massively failing. And so I wanted to start to dive in and dig into that. And what I realized is it really started in high school. I'm going to take you back to 1994, back to St. Christopher's High School in Richmond, Virginia. And I played varsity baseball for four years. Now, back in those days in the 90s, there was not a lot of travel teams. Basically, baseball was a seasonal sport, especially in the state of Virginia, where we did get about you know three months of snow. Um, not super cold like the Northeast, but it still is cold. But it was a private school. And the private school had small-time athletics. In fact, we didn't even have a fence at our field. Yeah, you heard me right. We didn't have a fence at our baseball field. And the reason why was because the baseball team was not very good. We were, we were cellar dwellers in the prep league. And because it was just a sport where people didn't really take it seriously. The, the students didn't take it seriously. There just weren't, weren't a lot of ball players that came through the school. And the soccer team was excellent. The soccer team had, I think, won the state championship a couple years before I got to high school. And there, because of the being a private school in the limited uh, space, the outfield from right field to center field was the soccer field. And the soccer coach said, you're not putting a, a fence up on my soccer field. And so the uh, baseball coach acquiesced and we just never had a fence. Now, fast forward about 10 years after I left or 15 years after I left. They now put up a portable fence every spring, which of course I kind of shrug my shoulders. Like I really wish I would have had that when I was there. Cause there was a lot of fly balls that I hit were caught as outs that would have been out for home runs, but I digress. Anyway, one of the things that I noticed was that I was entering cultures that were failing and the mindsets were wrong, completely wrong. Now, if you've known me for a really long time, you know that I'm a big thinker. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I talk a lot about the future and I talk about macro ideas. And when when it comes to culture, I think the first thing that great cultures have are great mindsets. I don't think that great cultures are more talented or people have more ability. I believe there's something different. I believe it is about the mindset and what they can do what they are capable of doing. And when I was younger, I didn't know how to really communicate that. It was a lot of barking. I was very hard on my teammates. I just didn't know how to communicate 
what I was feeling inside. I didn't know how to communicate best the right ways to do things, the right ways to think about things. I was playing games. In fact, there was a huge blow up my sophomore year. You know, I'm trying, I mean, I took it very seriously. I wanted to take, um, this is a stepping stone to get to college and you got seniors on the bench, just goofing off like nonstop, just not even taking the game seriously. Little things like when it was their turn to bat, they weren't even ready. They're sitting in the dugout and we're like, Hey, it's your turn to bat little things that you would see in little leagues, not high school baseball. And so I was very frustrated with the fact that they're just, they didn't take it seriously. The mindset was completely off. And I slowly saw changes. And what I mean slowly, like it took years because I didn't understand the process of changing people's minds. I didn't understand the process of sharing experiences in order to change mindset. I didn't understand the ability to tell stories. And at that point, I'm 14, 15 years old. I don't have any stories. All I know is that I wanted people to take things more seriously. So I just voiced that when you take it more seriously from practice. You know, famous Allen Iverson line. Practice, we're talking about practice. Yes, practice. You take practice, you're going to play how you practice. So if you're sloppy, if you don't take it seriously in the games, you're not going to do that. And I wanted to win. I'm uber competitive. Still to this day, I want to win. Everything that I do, I expect to do to the best of my ability. Even if my ability isn't the best, I'm still going to do the best of my ability. I'm still going to try to win and I'm still going to try to be number one. Does that always happen? No, I'm not great at everything. You know, so I don't hold myself, you know, I don't, I don't blame myself if I try something and I'm not great. Point being is slowly what I noticed over time that this private school that didn't even think about baseball all of a sudden started uh, thinking about baseball. People were talking about baseball. The, The guys on the team were taking it seriously. They were starting to ask some of my advice. Now, in all fairness, I was one of the only guys that was playing baseball in the summer. I was playing Legion, American Legion baseball, and nobody else was. And so everybody knew how serious I was about baseball. I talked about baseball. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to go to college. I wanted to play professionally. I kept talking about that. I kept talking about something bigger than myself. And I think that is something to do with culture. Great cultures, they always talk about something bigger than themselves. I might butcher this, but Jeff Bezos always talks about making sure the customer comes first and the customer has the best experience. What is that? That is big picture. He doesn't say, I hope that our drivers are courteous and kind when they're dropping packages off. He just talks about the customer. Think about the customer first and the profits will follow. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but so that's how I thought. Fast forward to my senior year, you know, all prep, all state, all Metro honors, scholarship, And it's interesting how some of the younger kids at St. Christopher's, they started taking things a lot more serious after I left. And I didn't know at the time, because this is a sample size of one, but that was a culture change. And I was a big part of that. I was a big part of that culture change. Could I have done things a lot better and not barked at my teammates and my friends? Yeah. But I didn't know. I didn't know any better at the time. When I got to college, didn't necessarily get a lot better. I definitely got a lot of shouting matches and arguments full of testosterone, you know, 18 to 22 year old guys, full of testosterone, cocky baseball players. Um, but then we go to, to William and Mary and my freshman year, we were horrible. We were dead last in the colonial and fast forward to four years, history repeated itself. Now, 
when I was at St. Christopher's, we did not go to the state tournament. I believe we would have won the state tournament that year. The reason why we did not is because the state tournament fell during final exam week. And St. Christopher's at the time had a rule, you're not allowed to miss exams due to athletics. And we were one of the few sports that the championship, the, the tournaments played through. So we were invited to the state tournament and we had to decline. And it was absolutely crushing because we were on, we were cooking on all cylinders by the end of the season. We were a late bloomer. I think we, we lost like three of our first five games. And then I think after that, we went almost undefeated. So we were really, you know, kind of late bloomers that season. And I think we would have rolled in the state tournament. I think we would have um, won the state championship. And of course, what also happened was later St. Christopher's changed the rules. The baseball team now has been in the state tournament many years. In fact, they've been in the championship several years. Um, So that was kind of, how do you change things? You show success. You show success in order to be an agent of change. Okay. Go to Wayman Mary, kind of the same situation. Terrible first year. We're bottom of the barrel in the colonial. Four years later, the same process of just constantly talking about the habits, constantly talking about people thinking about bigger things, taking things seriously, focusing on the end goal, focusing on being a champion. By my senior year, we won the Colonial. We went worst to first. I was the tournament MVP and I got signed by the Atlanta Braves after I graduated. We went on to the Clemson Regional. We did not do well at the Clemson Regional. There was many reasons why we did not do well, but we did not do well. So we were two and out at the regionals, but we made the NCAA tournament from walking in to where we were the laughing stock of the Colonial Athletic Association to winning the Colonial Athletic Association and going to the Clemson Regional was probably one of the biggest achievements at the, at the, in the William & Mary athletics. And again, it's about culture. William & Mary always has always had the talent, but it was the culture where guys bought in. Also, was I leading by example as a senior member of the team? My senior year, I was the captain. And sometimes people didn't like the fact that I would bark at them if they weren't doing things properly. Again, I could have done things a lot different. My dad was in the military. I only kind of knew one way. If they weren't doing it, you just yell at them. (laughs) I apologize if any of my teammates are probably not, but if any of my teammates are listening, I do apologize. So what happened now is that a pattern is starting to form. Okay. The pattern starting to form is worst to first. All right. And it took four years at St. Christopher's. It took four years at William and Mary. And I didn't even put two and two together probably till probably two or three years later. I didn't put two and two together until, um, I was in Charlotte and I just moved to Charlotte. My sister had lived here and people were asking me about you know, my baseball career. Cause that's all I had at that point. I didn't even have a job. I just gotten a job waiting tables and bartending. So I had nothing to talk about except for baseball. And so I, you know, my baseball career was over. Um, I played in the minor leagues for two seasons and I got released again in training camp at the start of my third. So I don't count that as a year, but that's all I, and I, that's all I could bring up. So I thought about it and I said, you know, there's something there. Like what happened? Was it just me? Was it, was it the fact that I was a great ball player? You know, was it the fact that in high school I I put up numbers? Was it the fact that in college I put up numbers? Was that it? Or was there something else? Was there something else that was binding it? And I didn't really 
explore that till I got to enterprise. And when I had a chance to manage branches and manage operations myself, and then I started putting in my own uh, DNA into the business and I still didn't figure it out, but going back to, you know, the origin story of the builder blueprint, um, it, this, the topics I'm going to talk about here are a little bit different than what's actually in the course, but I think it has a lot to do with the culture and establishing a culture. And I think in order to establish a culture, you have to be, I hate this word, but it's the only thing I can think of. You have to be an alpha and you have to have an alpha mindset. And what that means is that an alpha takes action. A beta mindset does not. A beta mindset sits back and waits. I know the word alpha is getting thrown around with like toxic masculinity and it's a bad thing, but you need people to take charge. So when you think of the word alpha, it's just somebody who's take charge. Somebody who's going to grab the reins and just absolutely take control of the situation. And that's what I did when I was a baseball player. And then I transferred that over to the business world. And it doesn't mean if you weren't an athlete, you don't know how to do that. It's just you have to take massive action and worry about the ramifications later. You can't be so worried about what's going to happen. You can't have any type of um, you know, guilt or fear. Fear cannot control you. You have to go after it. So then turning around all the branches that I did at, at Enterprise, um, turning around the pharmaceutical territories that I had that were just in the, in the dumpsters, um, setting records in medical sales and scaling very quickly before COVID hit. Um, COVID kind of robbed me of a uh, big, big, big opportunity that I was working on. And then I shifted into entrepreneurship and along the ways, um, learned a lot and started to crystallize all of the different things that I was doing. I give it names. In fact, my buddy, Justin's my co-founder at Rhythm AI talks about how great I am at coming up with names for different things, just naming processes and naming frameworks. I mean, it was the PPF framework. Um, I mean, in the builder blueprint, there's the sales builder blueprint, and that's kind of the overarching kind of plans. You know, then there's the sales builder roadmap, which is within the uh, blueprint. And that the roadmap is kind of how you get around the blueprint, you know, but then you've got the PPF method, you've got the five step sales cycle, um, you've got the pocket process. There's a lot of things in there. And I know these words don't necessarily make sense to you, but um, I've talked about some of these in the past episodes, and then I'm going to talk more about them in the future because I think it's very important that people understand these processes because these processes are things that I have been doing back since the mid nineties. And the ideas and the concepts have just crystallized and formulated for the business world. I believe that doesn't matter what type of sales you were in. If you take the frameworks of what I have done in the past that I was also taught, what's, what's not lost on this was I had baseball mentors. I had baseball mentors. I had mentors at every single step of the way. I had professional mentors that would teach me things. And I was like a sponge. I didn't think I knew everything. 
I listened. Two ears, one mouth for a reason. I listened. I listened more. Now, sometimes in my sales presentations, I've had to work on listening more, but I listened. And I really tried to do the things that people were talking about. So the sales builder blueprint is kind of tried and true. Um, It's funny, when I interviewed my father last August of his sales experience, a lot of what he was talking about were parts of the sales builder blueprint that we had really never had discussions on, but it was stuff that worked back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. It's tried and true. I might give it a different name. I might have a different conceptualization for it, but it's processes that work. Sales Builder Blueprint was actually born in 1994. We're going on about 30 years now for the Sales Builder Blueprint as far as how to take something from the bottom of the basement, worst to first. I know a lot of people listening right now, you'd love to do that in your sales world. If you're struggling, if you've had any change, if you're new, if you don't know what to do, all of those different type of people, reach out to me. Let's talk about the Sales Builder Blueprint. I'm going to be launching it in the next couple of weeks, and I'm very excited for people to get their hands on it. I'm really excited for people to get their hands on it because I really do believe it's going to change people's way of thinking. And I think if, you know, my goal as well is I want to get the sales builder blueprint into organizations. I believe it's going to help build culture. You know, some sales organizations are struggling. Not every sales organization is knocking it out of the park. And I believe that with the sales builder blueprint, I believe that you can start changing culture. You can start changing people's lives within the company. People are going to start selling more. They're going to start making more money. Everybody's going to be happier. All of a sudden there's hope. All it starts is with a new mindset. Process a system that can be repeatable, consistent, every day, over and over. Thank you so much. If you want to know more about the Sales Builder Blueprint, reach out to me, Mike at Surviving Outside Sales, or you can hit me up on LinkedIn if we're connected and say, hey, I want to know more about Sales Builder Builder Blueprint, and I will get that information to you. I want to thank everybody who has been listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope everybody has a great rest of their week and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Surviving Outside Sales. Bye-bye.